Come, friends, let's pray. Lord, we look to you. We look to your word. You reveal it to us for our good. And so, Lord, may we benefit. May we be open to all that you wish to say to us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, how many of you have heard of this term before? Eh, blinking. Bling, 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 bling. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I think, Michelle, you need to help me to press. Huh? Okay, how many of you have heard of this term before, the cobra effect? If you've heard of it before, raise your hand. God, ah. Uh. No, uh, okay, never. Uh, good. Then I got a story to tell you. Uh, there's a legend that goes something like this. In the mid-19th century, uh, during the British colonial rule in India, the government was concerned about the number of poisonous snakes in Delhi, uh, which is the capital city. Okay, so they were very concerned. Oh, there's so many poisonous snakes all over the place. And so to address this issue, they passed a law where anyone could receive a bounty, uh, a reward, uh, for every dead snake that was brought to them, every dead poisonous snake. Okay, and so this way, uh, they, they're thinking, the, not just the, the government officials going around snake hunting, la, okay? the whole city would take part uh, in, in killing these poisonous snakes, and that would reduce the poisonous snake population very quickly. However, some people, uh, very clever people, <laughs> they soon discovered a way to take advantage of this law. And so they started snake farms. They started breeding poisonous snakes just so they can kill them and uh, submit the, 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 the corpse, lah, okay? turn in these dead poisonous snakes and get the reward money. And so the government found out about it and... You know, of course, they were like, hey, you guys uh, cannot already, right? And so they, they refused to pay any more bounties. And so as a result, these poisonous snake farms were shut down and then they have to be released into the wild. Uh. So instead of, <laughs> instead of reducing the, the number of poisonous snakes in the area, the number of poisonous snakes greatly increased, right? Because... Some people didn't care about what the law was meant for. All they wanted was to use the law for their own advantage, you know, to make themselves rich. Uh, in the same way, in today's passage, we see the religious teachers not caring about the Sabbath law, not caring about what it was meant for. And they were wrongly trying to use it to get Jesus into trouble. And so a big idea for today is that we truly obey God's commandments when we see them through His eyes. Okay, so this is the takeaway message, the one thing to remember if you forget everything, that we truly obey God's commandments when we see them through His eyes. Now, we are still on our series on Matthew, so let's just have a quick recap of where we are. Uh, if you remember, uh, I've shown you this diagram before, basically a, a rough outline of Matthew. Between the prologue and the climax, remember the sandwich, huh? the sandwich bun? 
Uh, in between, there are five sets of narratives and teachings, the sandwich filling. So we're at the third set, okay? I don't know whether it's lettuce or ham or cheese or what, but it's the third set of narratives and teachings, okay, in the book of Matthew. And so last week, Brother Shaojin took us through Matthew chapter 10, where the uh, Jesus, or, or the last time that we looked at Matthew, uh, was in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus sent out his disciples into the harvest field with his authority, and then he went on to preach and teach in towns in Galilee. And along the way, if you see between uh, Matthew chapter 10 and today's passage in chapter 12, you'll see that Jesus spoke against the towns that did not repent after witnessing his miracles. And so he basically said, Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. Uh, you, you know, you, you've seen all these miracles and you did not respond in repentance. And so naturally, some people did not like this. Some people, the rasa, okay, especially the religious leaders, uh, they, they were usually exposed for their hypocrisy. And so they felt that, hey, you come and preach and teach in these towns and then you're saying we don't repent. You're saying we also never repent. So as Jesus is being followed around by crowds of people amazed at his teachings, amazed at his miracles, wanting to hear more from this great teacher, some of them in these crowds were these religious leaders watching, trying to trap him in doing or saying something that they can use against him to bring a charge against him. Okay, So in today's passage, one group of these religious leaders known as the Pharisees, uh, basically they were very well-respected uh, religious leaders uh, and they are trying to discredit Jesus by blowing the whistle on his disciples. So the Pharisees are known for their very legalistic way of uh, implementing the law. Okay, and so they'll be very, very careful to do certain things. Uh, and so they follow the law, they, they have all their, their, their hair curly curly at the side and then got the, the piece of paper with, with commandments on the forehead and on the side here, and all kinds of things, right? And so they, they were trying to catch Jesus in one of these legalities. And so their logic is that, hey, if the students are wrong, then the teacher must be wrong. Lah, okay? And so the accusation of the disciples of Jesus were that they were breaking the law of the Sabbath. And so to examine this, today we'll be looking at three things. Firstly, understanding the commandment. Secondly, examining the intent of the commandment. And thirdly, knowing the heart of the commander. Okay, let's look at the first one, understanding the commandment. Let's look at this commandment of the Sabbath. Now, the religious teachers, they were accusing Jesus' uh, disciples of breaking one of the ten commandments, specifically the fourth commandment. So, this is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11. Uh, and basically, it is the commandment to remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, right? Uh, six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Which means for the nation of Israel, Sunday is supposed to be like dead, 
Okay, not dead, lah, but asleep. <laughs> okay? And so in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the, seventh day, uh, the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so the word Sabbath literally means to stop or to rest. Okay? For those of you who learn uh, music, huh? Uh, music notation, when you come to a rest, you stop playing, right? Uh, so that's, that's what the, the Sabbath uh, literally means. It was a period when no work was to be done from Friday evening to Saturday evening. That was the, the Jewish calendar Sabbath, okay? And it was to be kept holy. I repeat this all the time, but to be holy is to be set apart, to be dis different, to be distinct from other things, okay? So, it was to be kept holy from the other days, different from the other days when work was being done. And so, Jesus' disciples were being accused of not keeping the Sabbath when they ate grain, okay? So, this might seem a little strange to us, because you can't imagine yourself going into a wheat field, picking a dry kernel and just trying to eat it, right? Uh, we've not lived in a farming community before. But back then, and even now, it was common for people of the Palestinian region to eat raw grain before they're dried up, okay? Uh, when they're still green, okay? So it, it, was, it was something that they, they ate to satisfy their hunger, to nourish themselves because they're hungry. But hang on, the Sabbath was a day for no work. So what were they doing that was considered work? Was it the reaching out? Was it the plucking? Was it the putting it to the mouth? Was it the chewing? Was it the swallowing? Was it the digesting? <laughs> what? All right. Now, the, the law of Moses actually allowed those who were hungry to pick grain with their hands and eat them then and there. Okay, the, the law just prohibited you, you cannot take a parang and go and chop, okay, and, and basically harvest somebody's crop in bulk. They said, if you're hungry, you can just go and take and eat for yourself. Okay, so like today, uh, uh, you, you see at the back there, got jambu tree, are uh, you hungry? You just go and pluck and eat, okay? Something like that. So, what were the disciples doing wrong? Now, after the Jews returned from the exile in Babylon, there was 400 years between the, the last Old Testament prophet's writings, Malachi, and the birth of Jesus. Okay, so you've got Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then, and then, and then, and then, through all the prophets, all the way until Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. And then a gap of 400 years when God was silent, he did not speak through the prophets, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so on, right? So this 400 years is known as the intertestamental period, in between Old and New Testament, intertestament, okay? So during this intertestamental period, this 400 years, uh, the there were Jewish religious teachers known as rabbis and they carefully 
taught the people to follow God's law. Now, you must remember, Israel's history is they, uh, God called them to be a people, right? They had a nation, but they disobeyed God. They sinned against Him, idolatry. Eventually, the ultimate punishment was exile, removal from their nation. Then, He brought them back. After that, scared already. Lah. So, they were very, very careful. Okay, no more idolatry. Uh, so, all these rabbis tried to, to make uh, very, very strict rules about how you keep God's law so the exile doesn't happen again, okay? But they are, in their concern for the law, they began to pass religious laws on how God's law was to be interpreted. And so eventually, they didn't just keep God's law, they started adding on certain ways that God's law must be kept, okay? And so eventually, they came up with 39 categories of activity that were counted as work during the Sabbath. Okay, these were known as the 39 melachot. Okay? Say with me, melachot. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, 39 melachot, right? And so, this consists of things like carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, uh, like polishing, uh, not actually completing a task, uh, writing, erasing, cooking, and so on. Uh, okay? You, know, you can see there are 39 ways that you do this thing on the Sabbath, you are breaking the Sabbath. Okay? That's what the rabbi said. And so, Jesus' disciples, according to the original Old Testament scriptures, uh, they are doing nothing wrong. Uh, but what they were violating was this list of applications of the law that were interpreted by these Jewish rabbis and handed down by tradition. And so by these 39 melachot, they could be accused of breaking four rules. I've highlighted them in yellow, okay? Firstly, they were reaping by plucking the grain. Secondly, they were threshing by rubbing the chaff to separate it from the wheat. And thirdly, they were winnowing by disposing the chaff and letting it fall on the ground. And fourthly, they were selecting by leaving the wheat isolated for eating. Okay. So, these were just some of the legalistic rules that the Jewish religious teachers were imposing upon the people uh, to follow. And so, that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, He's referring to the religious teachers. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger and move them. So he's talking about these extra, extra rules. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, which is just before today's passage, chapter 12, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Very familiar verse, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So, this is what he is referring to in the context of Jewish religion in his time. He is not saying, follow Jesus easy. <laughs> he is not saying, oh, you, you feeling susa? Uh, you just follow Jesus, all your problems will go away and things will be very easy. No. 
he's saying that he won't pile on all these unnecessary rules like the religious teachers of his time. That the, the, the path to righteousness and, and proper spiritual living through Jesus is super easy compared to all these religious rules. Now, the point of this passage is not about whether rules are good or bad. I know some of us are wired to don't like rules one, okay? And so, this passage is not saying that rules should be ignored or rules should only be followed when it suits us. The point is that the Pharisees were misrepresenting God with their extra man-made rules. They were giving rules to the people and saying, this one God say one, okay? Now, as Methodists, we are very familiar with rules, right? John Wesley had three general rules. Do no harm, do good, observe the ordinances of God, which is uh, modern language, is like stay in love with God, lah, okay? Uh, you express that through worship, Holy Communion, regular Bible study, prayer, fasting, that sort of thing. And so, we also have a Methodist book of discipline. Have you heard of the Methodist book of discipline before? Have you read it before? Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, basically, it is a, a book, not as big as the Bible, huh? okay? And it guides us on how to administrate within the Methodist church. So, for example, how do you receive somebody into a church membership? What is the process? Okay. How do you transfer somebody's membership to another church? What is the process? And so without some of these rules, every Methodist church would be doing their own thing, okay, which is how a lot of churches operate. Uh, that would make it messier and more difficult to work as a larger network of churches. Uh, so one of the unique uh, strengths of the Methodist church is we have this connection with each other, okay, this network where we are not just Trinity Methodist Church Saja, right? We belong to a district, we belong to a conference, we belong to, you know, this wider network, right? And that's why you have pastors in your church and not just one day the pastor die. oh no, no more pastor. I uh, have to wait to, forgot to raise another from your congregation, then you hire that person, right? The conference will send another pastor to you and then some other church will end up sharing pastors, that kind of thing, okay? So, uh, some of these rules within the Methodist church uh, makes things easier to work uh, together as a network. And these rules are meant for good, to bring order, okay? And I uphold them as a pastor in Methodist church, just like how I uphold traffic laws because they are also meant for good. They are meant to bring order. You, you, know, you, you disobey them at your, your own peril, right? But if we took any of these rules that are not a straightforward application of Scripture and we impose them on people as though they carried the same authority as God's will, uh, then we have a problem. And so this is partly why we don't write off other denominations that don't interpret and apply Scripture exactly like us, okay? especially in areas where Scripture is silent or Scripture is not so clear. We trust the Holy Spirit to help us to interpret and apply Scripture correctly. 
And that's how we, we live our Christian lives with conviction. But we don't gatekeep the Christian faith and say that every follower of Jesus must follow the Methodist structure or else they're sinning against God. They're not Christian. Right? And so that's sort of what the Pharisees were doing. God's commandments are not intended to be imposed on people for no good reason in a way that is not good for them. Obedience should be accompanied by the right motive and conviction. And this brings me to my second point, examining the intent of the commandment. In response to the Pharisees' accusations, Jesus reminds them about their Pharisee Sunday school story, okay? how David and his men, uh, they were fleeing from King Saul, right? and they took refuge in the, the town of Nob, the priest town of Nob. Uh, you, you remember that story from last year? Remember or not? Uh, because last year we, we went through First Samuel, we went through this, this story. So David and his companions, they're fleeing from Saul. They came across Ahimelech, the priest, and they pretended to be on a special mission from Saul, running away from him. Uh, and he gave them the consecrated bread. Oh, it's supposed to be only eaten by priests, but because they were starving, uh, the, the priest gave them this bread. And he also gave them, uh, gave David Goliath's sword. Lah. So after Samuel found out, the whole priest town of Nob was slaughtered by Doeg the Edomite, right? So familiar story. So in this story, David was obviously a lawbreaker. He was not keeping exactly to what the law was saying. Yet, the Jewish religious leaders considered him to be a hero of great faith. And they thought that, you know, ah, our great ancestor, King David, he could do no wrong, that sort of image of him. On top of that, Jesus points out in verse 5 of uh, Matthew chapter 12 that if the Pharisees wanted to apply these 39 malachot uh, to the priests of the temple, then they also would be technically violating the Sabbath by performing their priestly duties. So Jesus is exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because they were applying a double standard. They didn't apply this standard, this 39 Melachot, uh, they didn't apply this standard to David, their ancestor. They didn't apply it to the priests of the temple. They were applying it to Jesus and his disciples. And then Jesus adds an extra sentence. This one is not found in Matthew, uh, but is found in Mark's version of the, the same events. And so he said to them, the Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now this tells us two things. Firstly, that the application of the law should be consistent with the intent of the law. I'm told that the legal term is statutory intent. Correct, Ajin? Uh, something like that. Lah. Okay, I, I'm sure the lawyer wants to like, uh, technically, huh? okay. But roughly, lah, okay, statutory intent. That the application of the law should match the purpose, the intent of the law. And so in the case of the Sabbath law, the Sabbath was made for the benefit 
of man. Man was not created for the sole purpose of observing the Sabbath. So what was the intent of the Sabbath? I won't quote all the Old Testament verses at you, but just give you three main reasons why the Sabbath was a law given to Israel. Firstly, to rest. Man was created with a weekly rhythm of rest. God himself set that example, right? Today, we have relatively easy access to technology. With technology, technology helps us to do a lot of things more efficiently and a lot faster. And so with access to technology comes a lot of potential to continuously be occupied, whether occupied with work, occupied with play, occupied with socialising, or even occupied with unfulfilling time wasters like answering scam calls, right? We have more than enough things to keep us busy with. And so in this climate of busyness, the regular rhythm of intentional rest is more relevant than ever. And as I preach this, I preach to myself. <laughs> okay, so... The, the, the Sabbath was created for this rhythm of rest, first one. Secondly, to be holy and act as a sign of God's covenant with Israel. One of the things that set the Israelites apart from the other nations, other than circumcision, if you peered into, I mean, other than circumcision, uh, was their keeping of the Sabbath, that the... The, the, the fact that this whole nation observed the Sabbath made them different from all the other nations that did not. If you were one of the nations surrounding Israel, you came across this bunch of people. They are not working. They are not trading on a Saturday. Uh, you know already. It's those people. <laughs> it's that, that bunch of people who worship the Lord. They worship this you know, Yahweh, right? Uh, and so, nowadays, it's probably like if, if you go, let's say, after church, uh, before our fellowship hour resumes, huh, uh, we go to, go to town, look for lunch, and then you come across a restaurant, a very nice restaurant, and then there's a notice, it says, closed on Sundays. Uh, quite a reasonable guess that the owners are Christian, right? Because weekends are the most profitable days for F&B business. So, it... it marked, it reminded and also uh, uh, identified the nation of Israel as, you know, holy, okay, uh, belonging to this, the Lord, different from the other nations. Thirdly, the Sabbath was to help the people of Israel trust God as provider. In an agricultural society like Israel, every day counted when it comes to tending crops, tending livestock, and so, to reduce the weekly workload by one-seventh, which is about 14%, uh, that's about 14% less produce, less food for your family. And so, the Sabbath was actually an anti-kyasu measure. It meant the Israelites had to trust God to provide enough for them over the other six days. You remember how the Israelites, during the... the Exodus out of Egypt, every day they go out, they gather manna, right? 
and the manna would spoil if they kept it overnight because they were supposed to only collect enough for that day. But on the day before the Sabbath, they could gather twice the amount and it would not spoil. And so to trust the Lord in a similar uh, way today would be not working OT when it gets in the way of your faith or your worship life. Even if you don't have a lot of savings or investments to fall back on and you trust God to provide enough and so you don't kiasu kiasu work on Sunday because you get OT, that kind of thing. So all these purposes of the Sabbath, to rest, to be holy, to trust God, these purposes are not meant to make life difficult for the Israelites. They, these, these three purposes of the Sabbath law was for their good, to help them remain healthy. To, it was for the good of their faith as God's chosen people. That was the intent of this commandment. Jesus also tells the Pharisees in verse 6 of chapter 12, something greater than the temple is here, and he's referring to himself. Because in verse 8, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so what this means is that he has the authority to properly interpret and apply the Sabbath law instead of the Pharisees. Because as God's Son, he knew the true intent of all of God's commandments. He knew the Father's heart. And this brings me to our third point. Knowing the heart of the commander, the one giving these commandments. In order to truly understand the intent of all these commandments, we need to know the commander's heart. As Jesus answers the, the Pharisees' wrong interpretation and application of the Sabbath law, he tells them they don't understand Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, and he quotes it at them, which says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, this is not the only verse or, or, or uh, passage in the Old Testament that carries this kind of message, right? Many of the prophets, they spoke the same message to the people of Israel. They proclaimed how the, the, the people would worship the Lord with their offerings and sacrifices, and yet their hearts were far from Him. They still, even though they, they worshipped the Lord and burnt offerings and all that, they still chased after other idols. They mistreated and abused their fellow men. And so this is not the first time that Jesus mentions this verse to the Pharisees in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. In the Gospel of Matthew, the first time is actually in chapter 9. Again, the Pharisees are accusing him. They are accusing him of eating with sinners and tax collectors. And so, when Jesus asked the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's saying, you guys know your scripture very well, but you don't know the heart of God. You know what the prophet said, words from God, but you don't understand what God's heart is saying. That even, God desire, even though God desired holiness, He didn't add pointless or unnecessary rules just to make things difficult for His people. 
And so just a point for us to consider that if we feel that the Christian life, that the, our, our Christian faith is full of meaningless rules, that we, are, we, just, we just need to obey things just for the sake of obeying it, then I need to challenge you to go and study. Go and understand. Go and try and find out why. Why did God say this? Why does God not want that? Don't just blindly follow. Right? Then only you can live your Christian life with conviction and not just go through the motions. And this point is made even more obvious in the next set of rules that they did not understand the heart of God, the, the Pharisees. Uh, verse 9 to 10. Change scene already. Eh? Uh, they, he, he went on into their synagogue. Lo and behold, there's a man with a shriveled hand there. Okay? And looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, the Pharisees asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they're trying to trap him again. Okay? As here, they're referring to another religious law that was passed down through rabbinical tradition. This rule said that if you are not saving a life, then any sort of medical care is considered work and violating the Sabbath. And so, one of these rabbinical laws uh, was saying, if you perform some sort of medical care and it's not a life or death situation, you're breaking the Sabbath. And so, this man with a shriveled hand is not a life or death situation, right? Which means that according to their religious interpretation of the Sabbath, uh, healing him is violating the Sabbath. So Jesus' response, he tells them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it up? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. One of the rabbinical writings that were passed down so, intertestamental period, huh? one of those writings that were passed down, actually prohibits lifting an animal out of a pit on the Sabbath. And so, it's possible that Jesus is throwing their rules back in their face and saying, if it's your own sheep, you are going to break one of your own rules. Ma. Uh, so, if you would break this rule for the sake of your animal, isn't a human worth more than an animal? And so this is the heart of God, love for his people. And so this is why Jesus said in Matthew 22, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, first and greatest commandment. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They summarize in love. Love for God, love for others. This is also why Paul tells the Corinthians that without love, all spiritual gifts, all acts of service, empty, meaningless. Any religious thing you're trying to do without love, no point. Now, there are a whole bunch of ways that someone we know might not be following God's commandments, maybe even ourselves, right? not making disciples, prioritizing other things above God. 
Sex outside marriage. Refusing to forgive someone. Now, we don't compromise on holiness and say that any of that is okay. Right? But consider God's heart for the sinner. How Jesus died for us all while we were yet sinners. And so we don't compromise on holiness, but we should not compromise on love either. That is the path of grace that Jesus walked, and that is the path that he calls us to follow him in. And so in conclusion, today we are not under the law of Moses as the Israelites were. Uh, so law of the Sabbath does not apply to us. Uh, let me just get that clear. Uh, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross our righteousness does not come from the law of Moses. It comes from faith in Jesus. So the Sabbath as a literal law uh, doesn't apply to us in the same way. Okay? But the principles still apply. The principle of rest, the principle of being different, the principle of trusting God. Right? But we learn from Jesus in how he looked at God's commandments through his eyes so that he could truly obey them. So when we're looking for a correct way to apply Scripture, we always look to Jesus for the right way to interpret according to what God intended. You've heard of WWJD before, right? WWJD? What does it stand for? Oh, Jesus do. Okay. Have you heard of HWJA TV? It's not Hua Jen TV. Eh? <laughs> HWJA TV. How would Jesus apply this verse? Uh, okay. So the next time you're not sure how to apply a particular Bible verse, think, Huajan TV, <laughs> HWJA TV. How would Jesus apply this verse? And so I'd like you to know that we truly obey commandments, uh, God's commandments when we see them through His eyes. I'd like you to be faithful to the intent of His commandments, not just going through the motions, and do obey His commandments of love in love. Don't lose sight of the heart of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.